everyone. It is Wednesday about 11.39 a.m. on the East Coast. We want to welcome you that are coming in with us or will listen to this on Facebook. And then we want to welcome all of our podcasters from around the world. Today we're talking about moments that change the life of a believer. And um, we're going to explore today... um, the means and methods of water baptism that change the life of a believer and uh, that drive the believer into certain doctrinal issues that we want to try to explain. So let's go into a word of prayer. We want to remind you that you can contact us at springston56 at gmail.com MikeSpringstonMinistries.com, FFCMA.org, or through Family Fellowship Chapel's direct messaging. We would love to hear from you. We hope wherever you are that you are warm and that you are safe. And uh, we hope that you'll take a few minutes, probably about 30 minutes on this session, to study and look into the Word of God. Father, we thank you for the word. Open our eyes that we can see, our ears that we can hear, and our heart that we can understand what the word of God is saying to us, and then let us apply it to our lives so that we can be changed into the image of your dear Son. Father, we ask that Jesus would speak directly through the Holy Spirit. Show us what we need to know, do understand, and demonstrate. We will sanctify ourselves and yield ourselves and surrender ourselves to receive that and to release it to your people. Bless us now, I pray, in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. Don't forget my book, I Surrender, on Amazon and in your local bookstores. So today we're going to look at moments that change the life of a believer. And uh, this uh, came out in our Sunday morning message, and... uh, So I'm going to share with you the truth about water baptism and the means whereby water baptism is administered. In this session, we're going to dissect the doctrines of water baptisms, and we're going to see if we have a doctrine afloat that's teaching water baptism in error. We're going to identify why Acts 2.28 is used as it was and why the scriptures that are written in Matthew 28 and Mark 16 uh, are spoken of and shared under the designation in which they are. So let's begin our look. Uh, We're going to begin with the Acts 2.38 version, but here's our foundational statement. The scripture in Acts 2.38 is being spoken to a specific people group. It's the Jews. The Jews knew Jehovah God. They did not accept him, Jesus, as the Messiah. So as we unpack the scripture, maintain that as the forefront of your thinking. The scripture in Matthew 28, 18, and 19, along with Mark chapter 16, are being spoken towards a completely different people group. The Gentiles. Keep that in mind. I'll show you. In these two scriptures, there's specific language that show you to whom they reference. Specific 
language. Now let's look at Acts 2.38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now in recent days I have seen a lot of this particular church come up and, and uh, their ministry be shown and their uh, doctrinal interpretation of this and their preachers preaching and so forth and so on. And I grew up in a town that was very heavy, a lot of very huge 2,000 or so mem member churches. Uh, I also grew up in a town that today is steeped in drugs, steeped in the sale of drugs. So something in that town did not turn out precisely as it appeared. So possibly we're going to find some answers here. The first thing we notice here is that this ministry of Peter is a continuation of the ministry style that was ushered in by John the Baptist. The message that would soon become the message that would bring the Gentile into the gospel has not been revealed and will not be revealed until Paul is met on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. So at the time of Pentecost, the apostles were ministering under the understanding that began from John the Baptist's ministry and flowed through Jesus. The message here was not altered by Peter as he declared each step of the actions of Jesus, but now that message would be brought out for the specific purpose of the Jews who would convert and would be done under the methodology that John brought and that Jesus taught. Jesus spoke of repentance in Mark 2 and Mark 6. Jesus used the language of repent in two ways. First in Mark 6, he said repent. Here he speaks of the message that is being preached, the gospel message that they're preaching. Now what does repent and repentance mean? It means to think differently or to change your mind. Now we can see clearly. Hi, Kamir, how are you? Karam, how are you? So glad to see you visiting with us again. Now we can see exactly why Peter in Acts 2.38 spoke in terms that he was speaking. He told the Jews that they needed to think differently and they needed to change their mind. Why would this be a message that needed to be spoken specifically to Israel and the Jewish people? Because they were people that were stuck in a community of religious orientation. They lived under rituals and traditions that made up the force of their culture. So in order to identify Jesus... They were going to have to repent, change the way they think, and change their mind. So he said to them, Jesus speaking, the second time, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here he's telling them to change the way they think, 
Jewish people because the one who is to set up the kingdom has come, is here, you're seeing him. What he's about to do will be the kingdom of which you, the Jewish people, have been seeking. Now these are the two ways in which Jesus used repentance. So repentance or repent is a word that finds its meaning in the idea that the new message you are hearing is set to change the way you think. This is what the Jews rejected. It was the idea that they needed to think differently and accept Jesus as the Messiah and come out of their religious community and come into the kingdom community. So the original message of repentance came through John the Baptist and Jesus. Then, of course, Peter uses the phrasing in Acts 2.38. So we can see that Peter has continued to be consistent with what he has been taught by Jesus. Remission of sin is the message that John the Baptist taught, and it's the message that Jesus told the disciples uh, to uh, do in John 20.23. Peter was doing again precisely what he was told by Jesus that he was called and charged to do. Then he adds to this message that they would be baptized in the name of Jesus. Now this here appears to be a change. It designates the first time that there was a change of action from the direct teachings of Jesus. Now we know that the one who wrote the direct words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 28, Matthew the tax collector, is present. So why does he not correct Peter? Why does he allow Peter to order the master's teaching? Why does it go unchallenged? Frankly, these are great questions. Since not one title or one jot of his teaching has not been completed with specificity and precision to this point. It's impossible that they all identified his statement to be taught. It, it, it is possible that they all identified his statement to be tied to water baptism, but with a meaning that is only directed to the Jews because they're teaching what John the Baptist taught and what Jesus taught. If we cannot tie this message to that reason, then we have an entire group of people, the apostles, who are coalescing to what Paul taught in Galatians chapter 1, and they're following after another gospel. So let's go see. To the apostles, the name of Jesus was of crucial understanding as he told them of the dynamic potential that was in his name. Now here... We're dealing specifically with the Jews. The Jews were the ones who were parted to the crucifixion of Christ. They were the ones who denied him as the Messiah and who humanized him as the carpenter's son. They were the ones who were glad to watch him die in such a horrible death because to them and their religious community, he was a nuisance. So ministering here specifically to the Jews Peter had preached about the man who was approved by God. He has assigned blame and guilt to those who did such a terrible thing to him physically. 
Thou repentance from that act of which you are guilty and of which you know your guilt must be pronounced is preached by Peter. As Jews, you must accept the message of Jesus Christ as it has been given and do so under the format of which John the Baptist and Jesus have presented you. They had preached, both of them repent and be baptized. So Peter's saying, change your mind concerning your religious community and come into a kingdom. Repent of your sin of rebellion and rejection against God who plainly identified who he was and why he was in your midst. You've denied the prophets and you've killed them. You've denied the word of God and you've subverted it. You've killed the very Son of God as Jesus himself told you you would do. Now the message declares to the Jew who he is, Jesus, in the economy of God, what he had done to produce this day, what he has provided in your ears as you have heard the wonderful works of God. Now, my Jewish friends, you must come in, Peter says, by the Messiah. You must find your freedom in him and in him alone. You must be delivered from the law and from legalism, from the religious community of rituals, of celebrating those rituals that make you a religious community. You must come out of the celebration. You must join the ranks of those who confess the name of Jesus, the actions of Jesus' ministry, and his spirit. The Jews, well, they come in by repenting. They simply came in by changing their mind about him. So his name is given as the means for them to enter into a new kingdom. Once that hurdle is crossed for the Jews, the rest of the access into what has just been revealed to us through the Holy Spirit belong to them as well. But you Jews, if you never get past the acceptance, Peter preaching, of the name of Jesus and the change of your mind concerning him, then everything else in the kingdom is cut off. So now we know. The scripture relates to how the Jew was to be converted from Judaism into the walk that brought them into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. This was in line with the ministry of both John the Baptist and Jesus. They were to be placed into the kingdom of Jesus just as Jesus said. Their hurdle was simply the recognition of who he was and if they changed their mind through repentance, then the entire kingdom of God was open to them. Scripture tells us that on that day, 3,000 saw that vision and followed Peter's preaching invitation. But this invitation had a direction to which it was sent with specificity. It was directed to the Jew and specific to the Jew's spiritual need. The key word here is repent. Repent. Change your mind. Now let's contrast that to what Jesus said in Matthew 28 and Mark 16. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, 
teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Then in Mark 16, 15 and 16, and he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. There's a key word in there. I'm going to show it to you. Now we've clearly identified the teaching of Peter as being specific to the Jew because the stumbling block of the Jew was Jesus Christ. Since that was so, the Jew needed to change their mind concerning him in order to be part of his kingdom. So it's clear why Peter ended his message to them in the way in which he did. But what about Jesus' direct statement here in Matthew 28 and also corresponding words in Mark 16? Why did Jesus teach them to do baptism in that way? Well, for that we'll have to identify to whom the message of Matthew 28 and Mark 16 spoke. In verse 19, we notice something that defines the audience. Key words. That word is the word nations. When we reference the word in the Greek, we find something. And what we find organizes these words of Jesus for us. The Greek word is ethnos. It is the Greek word that is expressed here concerning the word nations. It means properly people joined by practicing similar customs or common culture, nations, usually referring to unbelieving Gentiles or non-Jews. This definition came from referencing Strong's Concordance. So we are seeing Jesus making a baptismal method for those who are non-Jews. Now why would he do this? Look at Mark 16. We identify the same language with the addition of another critical word. He that believeth. In these statements, we identify a fundamental difference of discourse concerning to whom the message is directed. As we have identified the meaning of the word nations, we must also identify that there is another key word there called believing, believe. We will show you the significance of this as we go deeper into the teaching. So let's find out what we can see in Scripture. As we look into Paul's writings to the church at Corinth, we can see why the thoughts of God exceed the understanding of men. In other words, we have a doctrine that is an error that men has said from Acts 2.38, this is the foundational mechanism whereby one is to be baptized into Jesus Christ. However, we have now seen the fundamental error of that because that mechanism was pronounced as a mechanism of repentance that included the Jew. In the mechanism that is brought to us as Gentiles, it has to be a mechanism that changes the complete belief system. And I'm going to show you why God's thoughts on this are so much greater than men's. And I'll have to do that by using Paul's teaching. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, 2, Know ye not that ye were dead Gentiles. Now here we're going to see why this word believe is so critical. Carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. See, the Jew already had a religious community. They needed to change their mind and see 
Jesus Christ. The Gentiles had a community where they worshipped idols. They picked and chose what God, even to the point that they could be their own. The Gentiles had no God. They had no spiritual background. They were, as Paul said, carried away with idols. So for them, they had to be totally taught the gospel of the Trinity, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and the works of each of them. This would be the basics for anyone who was learning a completely new belief system. Certainly, this was the case for the Gentiles, but it was not the case for the Jew. They lacked Jesus. Now, as we uh, purpose this into our world, we have many different styles of religious community. But if we're going to minister Jesus Christ into that religious community, then we have to take on the teaching of Jesus Christ which led to Paul's ministry. And from that ministry, we find the means and the mechanisms to change the belief systems of those who are operating in religious community. The mechanism is the revelation of Paul. Now, Jesus had a ministry, and it went to the Jew. The apostles had a ministry and a doctrine that spoke about the very steps that one would take. But that ministry until Paul remained among the Jew. Paul came in and took the ministry outside of the Jewish realm. And he did that and said, I've done it by revelation of what Jesus Christ has taught me by revelation. Now then, we have the template as to how to alter those who are in religious community, how to teach them to come into a belief system that is different than the religious community of which they're currently engaged. That's beautiful, my friends. And it speaks to all of those who are attempting to do missionary work from wherever they're located. And so as we do that missionary work now, we know precisely where to focus, what we need to know in order to bring and change a belief system. Amen. The Holy Ghost is good, isn't it? The Gentiles had no God, so they had to come into a completely new belief system. Certainly this was the case. The Gentiles just lacked Jesus. The Gentile, or the Jews lacked Jesus. The Gentile lacked any understanding of truth as they were worshiping things that were man-made. So their spiritual purposes... For, for those purposes, they had to develop a complete new belief system. To them, it would be all new. Paul speaks to us in Ephesians concerning this, in Ephesians chapter 2, and I want you to see this because this is precious. Beginning in verse 2. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, 
according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. What they worshipped according to the things that they worshipped were things of darkness and things of the world. According to history, the town of Ephesus alone had over 50 idols. They, in effect, were worshipping in the demonic realm. As they did so, they were worshipping in something that to them was an idol, but the expression in them of how the idol influenced them was demonic. Their worship style reflected the disobedience that could only come at the very highest order. Because they were worshiping in a realm that expressed a a depth of disobedience that had been birthed in them. Now watch what I'm about to say here. That had been birthed in them due to both their flesh and their nature. So this is why the Jew had to take a belief system change. They had what was birthed in them by both their driving flesh and their nature. Paul expresses in verse 3 that this, of course, was the nature of their conversation. So we know that this was so embedded in them that it forced out of them conversation that matched the demonic influence that resided in them. So when the religious community begins to uh, talk negatively, harmfully, violently, or whatever the case, concerning Jesus, then we know that out of them is coming the influence of the things they worship. So when we hear foul words of those who openly choose to speak both foul and obnoxious things, This is what we're seeing. Their spirit is embedded in the demonic nature. So the words spoken will tell the truth concerning what is really in them. Now someone might say, but so-and-so speaks of God in prayer, but so-and-so goes to church. Yes, but so-and-so shines the light on the content of their inner being by the conversation that comes out of them. We can identify the demonic influence that's projected by them as soon as they open their mouth. That goes, my friends, with ministry. That goes, my friends, with those who speak from the gutter to the very gate of the White House. It hits every point in between. One's words expose the inner content of what is in their heart. The influence of the demonic is ripping our world apart. The content of things such as our music, the means of communication which we use towards each other, the slang terms that demean the divisive language that attempts to belittle people into the agreement with a particular narrative. These all come from a conversation that's located in demonic influence. The entire Gentile nation was operating, even in Paul's day, this way. Now, why would we think that our day would be any different? So as we allow our children to listen and hear the vulgar language that has its genesis in darkness, the language of violence, 
We wonder why they seem to act out in such heinous ways and we choose to blame weapons. <laughs> We've determined in many cases that these are just what they call in California a mental. That on that day the person snapped and did what they did because they were just in mental overload. My friends, we justify these behaviors by saying loud and clear, this isn't really them, this isn't how they really are. They were just having a mental. Well, friends, mentals do not just happen to otherwise normal people. They are groomed for the moment. What do you mean? When the mind is under assault, of darkness and dark language, dark violent pictures, dark subconscious intentions, we can rest assured that the person, people of people groups who foster such assault in their mind will act out. They will use the tools available to them. It'll be their hands, their feet, cars, knives, guns, gas, you name it. They use these to accomplish the picture that's occurring in their mind. And we have to look no further than to the riots of 2020. How did this happen? Because as, as with Ephesus and the entire Gentile world, we allowed the demonic to be worshipped. Paul would confirm what I have already spoken that will show us to what extent this worship affected the Gentiles. But before I move forward, However, I, I need to make this comment because in our day, we want to talk about operating off a higher moral standard. Unfortunately, that moral standard is called wokeism. We're able to justify, support, and defend the action of those who act out towards other people. This infection of our day allows for the determination individually concerning what is moral, and what is amoral, what is right, and what is wrong. As well, as I have stated, it provided support. We provide support for the perpetrator. So if I say this term offends me because you said it, but it does not offend me if I say it to someone or one race says it to another race, or one race says it to the same race. This is how we clearly define individual and personal moral right and wrong. It's a narrative and an agenda because it defines what is said as my truth, my law, my accuracy, and if I accept it, then I'm okay. I am now my own God. As such, I set my own moral standards. That's what's going on in the world, and it was going on in Paul's day. Isn't the Bible something? Notice Paul saying where these egregious actions found their beginning. It was in their nature. Their nature was the means from which they responded to the world. It was a nature of violent passion. 
that was so exciting to them that they completed all things to the satisfaction of their inner nature. That nature, I might add, is a nature that is led to induce punishment upon its word, world. My Lord, do we see this today? Punishment of words and actions against people. Such things are the gender movement that blurs the lines between male and female identity, the music industry that degrades women, the sports world that due to gender identity issue has uh, for all intents and purposes withdrawn the legislation that we lived under called Title IX and in so doing has withdrawn the women's right to compete against same gender opponents. Punishment of words against races as we have seen in the intercommunications of race to race and race against race. race. Punishment of political words as we see the battle of words between political opponents and political parties. Of course, I could go on and on and on with this in our world today, but you know exactly the influence of words that are creating a society that is a pressure cooker. These words translate into actions that often harm those to whom those words are targeted. This often goes on and the leadership gives complete approval and at times even gives directives. Where did it come from? Well, they do not desire to hear the truth of it. They'll try always to discredit truth. They'll come up with what appears to be a well-educated response from a well-educated person to attempt to dismantle truth, especially if the truth has its basis in Scripture. But the truth is exposed and expressed concerning the place from where all these issues that have become plagues to our society come from. It is from the inside of man. So my friend, it is his nature to be that way. That's how Paul found the Galatians. I'm not done, but I'm finished with this part of the teaching. I'm going to come back and further substantiate why there is an error in doctrine concerning how we baptize in water. Why that error uh, was done, we have spoken on the Jewish perspective. We want to conclude the Gentile perspective in your hearing. Because if we understand it, then we will understand what we must do to change the belief system and understand from where the religious community of whatever nature it is, is functioning. Father, I pray that you'll minister the word of God to your people. Bless us, I pray, in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. Amen and amen. Karam, Charles, Victoria, appreciate all of you being on there. Contact us if you have questions. May God richly bless you, my Facebook friends. This is also being done on podcast at Mike Springston FFC. And all of our messages are being taught there. You can go in and pull anything you like. May God bless you is my prayer. And we'll talk to you on Facebook again. God bless you, my podcast friends, until we have the opportunity to speak again. Jesus is Lord. As long as he is Lord, you can bow and operate in the benefits of the new covenant. 
Find him as the man in the Godhead, however, and from there he will speak and show you great and mighty things that are to come. God bless.